Welcome to Brazen Education with Educator Barnes, a podcast with a focus on speaking your truth, being transparent to help others, and having no shame about it. Because we can't move forward until the truth is known. Hey, Educator Barnes here with another episode of Brazen Education. Today's topic is the first 30 days. And I'm talking about the first 30 days of school. So in Indy, some schools started the last week of July. Most are at the first week of August. My school actually started on Monday, August 5th. And then a few schools started that second week. So at this point in time, there's a a lot of schools that have been in school the entire month of August. And when Labor Day weekend rolls around, it's an opportunity to kind of think about that first 30 days of that first month of school. Now, yesterday, August 30th, I had my birthday. So so happy birthday to me, first of all. <laughs> so I'm 36 and I feel fabulous. <laughs> Actually, it was funny. I uh, went to buy a bottle of wine and I saw the lady coming over to uh, card, uh, check my ID. And she says, I just assumed that you were in your early 20s. She said, I would have never guessed you were 36. So I was like, okay, (laughs) thank you for the compliment. Let me go about my business. But anyway, on my birthday, I normally just reflect about my life. I think about, you know, the things I've accomplished so far, the things I want to do. And so I'm already in reflection mode the end of August. And so after I'm thinking about my personal life and my personal goals, then that's an opportunity for me to reflect over the school year. This school is different. This school year is different for me because I'm in the role of an administrator. So this school year, I am a dean, in particular, an academic dean of a middle school. The school is K through eight, but um, it's divided into elementary school and middle school. And I um, support and evaluate social studies, um, English, and art. So I'm thinking about it in various lenses, but I will share um, what I've thought about the first 13 years of my career um, as a teacher or a teacher coach, and then kind of what I think about now from the lens of administrator. So the first point I want to cover is routines and procedures. This is crucial for any educator to get down. What do you want this this new group of students that comes to your classroom, what do you want them to do and how do you want them to do it? The first thing you have to realize, because I, I hear teachers like, well, you've been to school before. You know you need to raise your hand. Yeah, they've been at school. Maybe they're in third grade. Maybe they're in a fifth grade. Heck, maybe they're in high school. So, yes, they have been in school. Okay. But they haven't been in school in your class before. And you may do things differently than every other teacher they had. Or you may do a similar, but it's still not the same. So having the mindset of, well, they know what to do. And then you get frustrated because they're not doing it. Well, they don't know what to do. So the first thing you need to realize is they don't know how to do what you want them to do. And you have to explicitly teach it. So the first 30 days is like one of those make or break it. Those teachers that like they don't struggle the whole entire school year is because they was on the struggle bus during the first 30 days and they didn't figure it out. 
the first 30 days you have to figure it out and honestly you don't figure it out during the first 30 days you have to get that plan together before school starts so and it's everything when I say it's everything um, students will tell <laughs> oh man if you speak to my former students they will tell you that Mrs. Barnes is very particular and I get agitated <laughs> and irritated when you are not following things in the way I have taught I'm a very particular, oh, it's little things, so I'll, I'll be real about myself. It's little things. It's like supplies. There's student supplies. There's teacher supplies. You do not touch anything or move anything on my desk. If anything is moved, I'm like, so I don't know who moved the stapler off of Mrs. Barnes' desk, but I need this to be fixed right now. I don't care if it's the person or someone else, but the, the expectations and you know how I am, I'm cold enough the room. So the expectations in room 200 is that we do not. <laughs> move things on Mrs. Barnes' desk. That's why you have your own supplies. So um, I'm very particular about that. But what's interesting, I taught that. I made the expectation. So as the school year would go along and things were out, things were out of place, and students, even before I would even realize it, students would fix it because they know. Like, I mean, I need to be able to walk throughout my rows. And I was a teacher when I got mid career. I taught students how to move their desks. So I explicitly taught, we're in quads right now. I need you to move to trios. They knew what that looked like because I had a map on the board. Now we're in pairs, do pairs. All right, we're going to um, do face off. So that's when I would split my class down the middle. They would turn their desk and look at each other because we're about to debate some stuff. Socratic seminar. They knew that mean get into a circle. So anything I wanted students to do, I taught them and then I timed them. Because what we're not going to do is waste time doing a procedure. We're not going to waste time passing back papers um, uh, and it's not efficient. We're not going to waste time moving into the Socratic seminar and take 10 minutes to move our desk. Um, so. At first, when you teach your routine and procedures, we know the first week, week of school, we're just honing in on that. So it is going to take longer. So it's like, hmm, I needed this done in less than 30 seconds and it took us two minutes. So guess what? We're going to do it again. And you know those students, oh, oh, oh my gosh, can't you just do it, right? See, those students are secretly your cheerleaders because they're moans and groans and like, come on, guys. They will motivate and get everybody on board because nobody wants to keep doing it over and over and over again. So you have to be particular. And the other thing that I think teachers forget is that you have to explicitly teach routines and procedures for when you are giving direct instruction. That's the most important part of your day. You actually directly teaching content to students. And I, as an administrator, I'm walking into class after class. As a coach, I walked into class after class. And when I was, um, I'm gonna talk about coaching teachers because I've been very um, cognizant of not being too specific about my current job because this is my first year being an administrator and I've never been an administrator in any school. So if I'm saying things like, oh man, Shantae called me out on the podcast. So no, I'm not calling nobody out on the podcast. So now I'm gonna flip back to when I was coaching and going into classroom. When I was coaching teachers, uh, and I'm going into and I was going into classrooms. You would just see like students didn't know what the teacher wanted them to do during their instruction. The teacher's talking like, do you want me to take notes? Some people are taking notes. The teacher is talking. What do you want me to have on the desk? And I was very particular. Um, our principal called me a minimalist when because <laughs> she said like you the desk like all looked the same. They were all uniform. Right now, students, we are going to get into our writer's notebooks. Only thing that's on your desk is your writing note, your writer's notebook and your writing utensil. Make it happen in five, four, three, two, one. Eyes on me. 
That's how I set the class. And then I'm scanning for compliance and I'm making sure everyone's desk has what I wanted. I don't want anything else on your desk. I don't want your binder. I don't want your assignment notebook. I don't want some random paper that you doodling and drawing or trying to pass your little note, love note to your neighbor. I don't want anything on your desk except what I need you to use right now. And I was very, very particular about that. So the students knew exactly what we we're doing. One of the schools I was at, we did Cornell notes. So I had to explicitly teach what Cornell notes looked like and what I expected them to do when I was giving Cornell notes. So any routine, any procedure, walking in the hall, going to the cafeteria, going to the bathroom, asking for a pass, going to the pencil sharpener. And each teacher had a different way. Like I've been in classrooms as a coach and I'm seeing someone yell at someone. But did you teach them what you wanted them to do with the pencil sharpener for me? I don't police the pencil sharpener. I encourage students to have um, those individual pencil sharpeners, but I had a rule about that. Those things get full. You're not emptying it while I'm talking. And there were times during the day where they knew they could do certain things, that they could go sharpen a pencil. Um, they could ask to go to the restroom. They could ask to go get water. Um, they could ask to go to the library because I was very intentional. If you had your work done, I'll write you a pass to the library. You can go down there uh, and chill and read and check out a book. But I had expectations. And I said, and I told our school librarian, if you down there clowning, if you down there not reading, you're not, not doing what you're supposed to do, you lose those privileges. So everything that you want students to do, you have to have a routine and procedure. And then over that first 30 days, you want to make sure students are doing it the exact way. Because sometimes you're, you, okay, it's like, I taught middle school for a long time. So shoot, you got the the last class of the day. He was like, man, well, they, I mean, they're not, you know, passing back the papers exactly right. But man, I'm tired. I'm just ready to go home. Let's keep it real. Because that first month of school, you be tired and you want to go home. But you can't be like that. You know, if you start letting it slip right now, once it gets like November, you're going to be extra agitated and still tired. So you might as well just suck up that little piece of energy that you have and make sure they do it correctly. So in the first 30 days as educators, you really have to get down routines and procedures and everybody needs to be hands on deck. Um, some educators feel some type of way if somebody checks their students. Don't feel like that because I'm glad it's kind of like it's kind of like how I was raised. And I guess this is fading fast. Um, if someone checked me in front of my mom, my mom was like, OK, you had no business doing it. Like my parents were very supportive of other adults, you know, who were supporting what they were doing and how they were raising us to say something to us. But in school, sometimes people start feeling some type of way. I don't need you speaking to my class. But you didn't even see what they was doing at the back of the line. And in the hallway, we are on level zero. In the hallways, we don't talk. So I'm just trying to help reinforce our school expectations and to let our students know that no adult's going to allow you to get out of pocket. No adult is going to allow you not to follow routines and procedures. So you don't need to be feeling any type of way because I'm looking out for you. I'm trying to support you and I'm trying to support our school. And so everyone needs to participate because, like, you know, School dress code. If everyone's not policing it, then they already know, oh, this teacher's not going to say nothing so I can untuck my shirt in so-and-so's class or I can um, wear a spaghetti strap shirt, you know, because that seems to be the thing that a lot of schools uh, ban and, and pull off my sweatshirt and say, and, and, and I don't know, uh, whoever's class and sit like that. So everyone has to be on board. You really have to stay on top of them. 
and you really have to get them solidified so the rest of the year will be smooth. Yes, you may have to reinforce. Yes, you may have to reteach as the school year goes along, especially after those long breaks like winter break, like spring break. But it'll be easier to reteach something that's been established than trying to reteach something that you never established in the first place. The next part that's essential to get down in the first 30 days of the school year is the culture and the climate. And I'm going to talk about this from two lenses, um, staff culture and student school culture. Each classroom has a culture and a climate, and that climate should be welcoming and saying, I want to be here and your space is safe. And there are so many classrooms that I've been in that the space is not safe. The space is not welcoming and the teacher is not protecting students. I've seen I've seen classes where things are happening to students and the teacher doesn't say anything. I've seen classes where people are just inappropriate and is never addressed. Like, I mean, so I was an English teacher for the majority of my career. So sometimes we read aloud, okay? And you got that kid, you know, that thinks it's funny when somebody can't pronounce the word. And not only made that kid laugh, but they might even make some snide comment. So as an educator in that moment, I have two choices. Choice one is to direct, uh, directly address it head on or just pretend like it doesn't happen. I see too many educators when things like that happen, just kind of brush it off and ignore it. And I, 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 I can't even say I get this, but what I hear is, well, I didn't want to draw too much attention to it. The fact is, attention's already drawn to it. Everybody's heard it, so now you're ignoring it. Now the attention is being drawn to you and your uh, lack of being an adult and addressing it. Um, so in that particular uh, example I gave, I'm like, I'll be like, hold up, because that that we don't do that in here. I point back to our essential agreements, and one of the essential agreements I always have, um, fancy word for rules. If you don't know what that is, and you're listening, you're not an educator. Um, we treat everybody the way we want to be treated. And I don't think anybody wants to be laughed at or made fun at, fun of when they're actually trying to read and pronounce this word. So what we won't do in here is do that. Is that clear? Thumbs up if that's clear, because I'm about to check for some understanding. So if whatever child does it again, then it's like now I have set the tone and you're going to do it again. So you can go next door for uh to a buddy room team time out um, because we're not that's not going to be welcomed in the space so i would say uh because i do that up front students feel safe they know i address and i even have students say you know the only person that call out people and some people are scared they are scared of the students and i could do a whole other podcast about fear of students and that but i'm not going to get into that uh right now but Yes, you could address something, and yes, the student could say something crazy back, but at the end of the day, it lets all the other students know that you don't play that. You don't allow that in that space, and so then the person who's being isolated is that student because everybody's like, look, teachers addressed it. This student's out of, out of pocket. At least I know the teacher's going to address it when this student does that, and so it's really important that you set the tone in your space to let students know that this is safe. And then culture can be, think that, um, can be thought about in another way, like incorporating the students' backgrounds into the classroom. 
What's important is you need to incorporate your current student's background into the classroom. Sometimes kids show up and the, the culture is already set. Um, you know, you may have the, the flag of, of Mexico up. You may have, you know, stuff up from China, but you don't even got any Chinese students in your class. There's a difference between multicultural education, which is important, and being culturally responsive and incorporating your students' background. Maybe the Latino students in your class, maybe none of them were from Mexico. Maybe some were from El Salvador. So you are you know, decided that you are at Mexican culture and you don't have any students that are Mexican. So for me, do I have stuff up on the walls um, before school year starts? Yes, but my, uh, actually, I think about it. I think three schools I was in, my room was used as a professional development room um, for these reasons. Um, I'm a minimalist, so I, I don't, I'm going to be straight up. My classroom did not have no cutesy theme. I'm not that chick. I was not up here decorating, spending all this money, color coordinating stuff. Everything was just plain and simple. The only thing I purchased was fabric because what I hated about using bulletin board paper. First of all, I hate doing bulletin boards. Like, Hate it with a passion. So I trained students to do that for me because there was no way I was going to meet the requirements. You know how your uh, administrators are. Hey, I'm one now. So, yes, I know. We need walls that talk. We need, you know, that means these are active walls. You need to change it. Well, I already know deep down in the bottom of my soul, I hate decorating. Like, if you come to my house, <laughs> my house is simple. My house is plain Jane. I'm actually, my husband and I are actually currently... We're in in a comfortable spot. Um, I've been on another podcast called D Free in the Black where my husband and I talk about um, how the only debt we have is the mortgage on our house and my SUV. Sad story. I had my car paid off and then I left school last day before winter break and some youngin totaled my paid off car. So I have my SUV that I'm currently paying off. But actually I got it about a year and a half ago and it's over half the way paid off my goal is actually have it paid off the school year and then we'll get my husband a new um, SUV Um, but anyway I like to be very frugal I like to pay attention to what I'm spending so I'm not about to go broke I'm on my classroom but I did buy that fabric because I hate when the bulletin board paper tears when you take stuff down you buy fabric to be your bulletin board paper is safe now, um, I do know there's like rules now because of uh, those fire safety people. There's certain types of fabric you have to have that has to be safe. So make sure you check with your school safety person to make sure you purchase the right fabric. Because the other thing I hate when you get something, then you find out it's a violation. Because then I get all irritated again. But nonetheless, I keep, um, I like to keep those things simple and to keep them as a resource for students but i don't just throw so much money into things and i also feel like the class culture the class walls needs to be created with the students that you are receiving so what i typically have up i have where my dinner is going to be where my objective is going to be i have where my data is going to go i probably have a section about myself kind of get to know you and i do this i like to do this activity sometimes with artifacts or i write to the students and they write back to me so i have different stuff where i'm going to put student work but all the other stuff is developed with the students so if we're doing assignments that we're incorporating their culture that's going to be displayed on the wall i'm not pre-putting cultures up there if that makes sense the second thing I'm going to talk about is staff culture. I've been in schools where I've hated to leave the culture. And I've been at schools where 
I chucked the deuce and like peace out because this culture was toxic as hell. Look, we know in life there are toxic people, negative Nancys, can't get on board with nothing, always criticizing everything. So why didn't you think these same individuals wouldn't be in schools? They there? And the problem is, for some reason, some principals, some schools just let these folks run stuff and they don't get checked. They in the meeting. I've been in meetings with principals uh, where I've literally questioned their leadership because it's like they just talking back to you and talking to you any type of way every meeting. And now I'm irritated because now the meeting is going over the time that you said I could leave because so-and-so is just talking to you any type of way and you're not even checking that person. Like, not cool. And you know how I know they haven't been checked? Because they do it at the next meeting. It's like when you even see that person hand move, I'm like, dang, we're going to be here an extra five minutes after contract time because you, you, you can't deal with negative Nancy over here. Oh, you got something to say about something. And then what I, I really dislike are the people who focus on stuff that we can't change. In this role as administrator, I've had to deliver information that has not been pleasant. And there's nothing I can do about it. I am just the messenger. You know, things have been decided. Now, I will be honest, there's things that have been decided that I've been on board with that people don't like. There's things that's been decided that I don't understand. But here's the thing as an administrator, my job is to, um, a second chair administrator, my job is to carry out the mission and the vision of my principal. No one will ever know how I truly feel about things. Whatever my principal wants, I'm going to implement it and I'm going to implement it with a smile on my face because that's my job. Because the last place where the vision should be is on the administrative team. And that's a whole nother thing that jacks up staff culture when they can, when staff feel like they can play mom against dad. Oh, the assistant principal, the dean, you know, this person will let me do whatever if I run to them versus going to the principal. And now you got you got this kind of conflict within leadership. That's not good. And you have conflict with, uh, within staff and people are like, no. Don't bring your drama here. This is the drama-free zone. I I rarely know about gossip. I had a principal that got divorced. I had no clue it even happened. Now, everybody else knew it happened. I didn't even know it happened until she sent an email back to the entire staff asking people to stop talking about it. And I was like, she, she's getting divorced? I had no clue because people know, don't bring that gossip. Don't bring that, you know how they call, bring the tea over to me. I don't want to hear about it. I'm not here for that. I am here to teach students and to make sure they're prepared to be a citizen out in this world. I am not here to get involved in gossip. I used to say, especially since I taught in middle school, shoot, we worse than the kids. That's what I was saying means, you know, when I was uh, speak up and say something because I once got just so irritated. I'm just like, and one time I think my, my mama says my face be saying stuff. And so I was just, I got cold call. I hate that. When they just call on you as an adult in the meeting and you're not even trying to say nothing. Uh, Shantae, do you have something to say? I was like, yes. <laughs> but eternally, I was like, no, because I didn't want to say nothing. And I just said, we're worse than the kids. Why is it that there's more gossip and backstabbing and bickering and talking about folks among the adults than there are the children? I said, it's enough. Isn't it enough that we have to manage the, the, the middle school drama? Who's with who? Who's saying what? Who wants to beat up who? Whose mama said something to someone else's mama in the apartment complex? It's enough trying to stay on top of that and keep students separated. And now I'm up here trying to figure out um, in a meeting, do witnesses got to be there because these two, two teachers are about to go at it. And I even been in a school where I was coaching teachers and the two teachers tried to fight at school. 
Real talk. I wasn't even at this meeting because I was at another coaching session. But all I know is I get paged over uh, the intercom to come down to the office along with these other people. And I'm like, what's going on? And on my way there, people are like, oh, you don't know. They was about to fight. I was like, what, what you mean? I, that's exactly what I was like. like, what you mean? They was about to. I heard that the computers got thrown down. Earrings got pulled off. And they was about to go. And I'm like, are you... Are you for real right now? And now I got to get called down here about this situation. I'm like, what? what is happening in the schools where we got adults fighting, just want to fight, just like the kids? So when you think about culture, you have to think about, and this is what I say to people, and I've said this to grown-ups as a coach. What is it about you that makes people bring trash and, 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 and dump off, dump on you about other people? Because there's something about you that's inviting that type of energy. See, those people that would like to spread gossip and stir the pot at places, they are not able to stir the pot if they don't have an audience or someone to pass around the trash. And so I say to people that get involved in that stuff, what is it about you that's letting you be sucked into to, to that stuff? I was um, at um, Kumon Math with my sons, and I just kind of chuckled because this kid walked in and he was waiting to do his math lesson and he had a shirt. And it says, please cancel my subscription to your issues. And I'm like, I'm not subscribed to any of this foolishness that's going on. I'm not involved in it. You know, and people don't bring it to me. And it's interesting, even in the different roles I have, you know, someone's like, man, so-and-so. I said, I wonder why they keep telling you these things. That's what, and, this, and people be like, Shantae, you just be just saying some stuff. I'm like, and then, and then I say this because what the stuff that you about to share, that someone shared with you, I do not want to hear it. Again, I am here working, trying to get my job done. And if you're talking to me freely, that means I'm probably on my prep period. And now you are wasting time. That I, I mean, heck, I was teaching English. I was teaching 8th grade English. I was also, at one point in time, I was teaching 11th grade English. Do you know how long it takes to thoroughly grade a high school essay? And I'm trying to do this during my prep. And you up here trying to spread God. Girl, bye. Get up out of my classroom, please. And with a quickness. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. I'm trying to work here and be productive. I'm not trying to get dragged into negative culture. So in the first 30 days of school, check yourself. Don't get involved in drama. Don't spread stuff that you heard from somebody else and have a positive spirit about yourself. That's the best thing you can do because at the end of the day, students pick up on it. I've been in school where students know, knew that teachers had beef and people weren't getting along or that the principal and the sister principal wasn't getting along or there was a the division. And that's toxic and that's not good for our students. The next piece of the first 30 days is achievement in academics. You have this new crop of kids and depending on who you are, you may have went back into their files and looked at their standardized test scores. You may have talked to their previous teacher. You may have, oh, I've had this whole family, so I already know about this student. I just want to check all that right there. I was at a school where we were required to look at standardized tests, and I was just like, what for? Like, and I'm not anti-standardized tests, so if you heard that, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, like, sometimes students don't achieve well because of the teacher they had. And so I always take information with a grain of salt and say that this is only one piece of the picture. Now you're with me. Let me assess you. Let me see where you're at. What did you not pick up? Or people look at grades. And I'm going to tell you straight up, an A in one class, an A in one school is not the same as an A in another class or an A in another school. I've had students who, well, 
They've had A's and B's in English, and they come to my class and they have a C. I, I don't, Mrs. Barnes, I don't, I don't understand. Like I, I've always been an A student, and I have to have the tough conversation with them to say, you have gaps. Like the things I'm teaching is building on what you should already learn, and you don't know those things. I've even had the point of when I've had to talk to parents because now parents are upset because I get it. There's pride in like, I'm a parent. There's pride. My kids have always been on the A and B on a roll. K through uh, uh, second grade. They've, they've always achieved well. But now we're in third grade. Now they have hunger every single night. Now the requirements have changed. There's a possibility that my sons won't be on the A and B on a roll. Will I be crushed about it? Will I be disappointed? Will I feel some type of way about it? Yeah, I will. So as a parent, I get it that your kid has always been on the A or B honor, always been on the A honor roll, and now they're in your class and they have a different grade. But I always approach it like this. This, this, we're just getting started. You're now getting C's on things. You're now getting a true assessment of your abilities. I'm here to help you get back up to where you want to be. And so that's why I want to talk about briefly the belief gap. I say this so much and people don't believe me. There are teachers out there in classrooms right now that do not believe students can learn. And I had an interview one time and one of the interview questions was, do you believe all students can and will learn? And I, I said, is this a real question? I, and, and they looked at me and I, and cause if you've ever interviewed me, I'm just how I talk here. I'm just very real. And I said, I don't know how good that question is because has anybody ever said no? Of course people are going to say yes. You're not going to know if my answer is truly yes unless you hire me and you can see that in action. Um, so yeah, I was literally in an interview questioning their question. And so you have people that say the right things. They look like they believe, but they don't. Um, when I had coaching conversations with teachers, shh, these kids are low. I mean, look at this. This day is horrible. They don't know nothing. Man, I don't, they're never going to get up. To, I'll be lucky if they get up to last school year at the end of the school year. No, your job at the beginning of the school year is to be kids' biggest cheerleader. Like, look, guys, I mean, it's sixth grade. I know the content's going to be a little bit harder. We're like ramping it up the school year, but y'all got this. I want to help you. Mrs. Barnes is here. Whatever your name is, I'm here to help you. So we're going to break this stuff down, but you're going to get it. That's your job to be in the school year. Even if you've done, maybe you've done an NWA assessment or you've done some little assessment to see whether skilled, get a baseline. That's what we call get a baseline to see where they are. Even if the results are dismal and you are worried on the inside, you keep that on the inside. On the outside, you're like, you got this. I'm going to teach you what you need to know. When you leave here, you're going to be ready for the next grade. And that first 30 days, you really need to set that up because kids will not work hard. Kids will not work for you if they don't think you believe that they can do it. And that first 30 days of school, you have to be that cheerleader and set that up. And um, the next, um, the last important thing is connecting with parents. Within that first 30 days, you have that infamous back to school night. You're already tired and now you got to stay, what, to 7.30, 7 o'clock talking to parents. But this is an important time. Like, just like you got to teach routines and procedures and what you want for your students, you have to share with parents what you want from them. Uh, for NEK 12, you can check that out. I think it was August 29th. I posted a piece called um, Parents, How You Can Help With Homework. Um, because we want kids to do homework and then we don't give expectations for it. When I was at a school where we did home visits 
And I was team leader at the time, so I visited like every sixth grade class as a team leader because we had a rule about teachers not going by themselves for, for just so they can be comfortable. But one of the things that was on the checklist was, so what does your child study and do homework? That was something we talked about. And so in many of the houses, parents, I, we would get a parent that had a blank that hadn't even thought about it. I mean, my kid just does their homework. But where? And then, you know, and especially, you know, some of the teachers had historical knowledge about the family. Well, this family had a problem like just staying up with things. So it's kind of clear that this is the response this is why. And so we give suggestions. And back to school night, it's like, how can you contact me? What's the best way? Like I reached out to my son's teacher. What's the best way to contact you? And she actually emailed me back. Um, I did this beginning of school year. She said, I just appreciate you asking. Like, but as a parent, like I'm, I please know. So in my parent role, I'm connecting with the teachers. I'm checking in. I show up to school at some point in time. I will show up um, in both of my son's third grade classes randomly to see what's happening. I'm that type of parent. Engage me. So from the educators lens, you have to engage parents. And then from the admin lens, um, when we're doing, you know, these back to school nights, um, getting kids back you just want to be circulated and just show that you are there and that you're willing to help with anything even though you're not the classroom teacher hey talk to me okay let me talk to you to you through this and even as an administrator call homes give those positive phone calls the first 30 days i say to at least every child you have i'm gonna start with elementary school so you got like 30 35 call all those parents at some point maybe you do one family a day and just say something nice so the first time they've heard from you is positive middle school i'm not gonna lie it's a little trickier so what i did i um um wrote a letter to my students and then um kids had to write back then one of the letters that are so i get the kids two letters one was my letter I wrote to the students on the back. It's for them to write back and they could write on their line notebook paper. And then I sent one home. On the back of that one was, you know, I asked them questions. What are three things you want me to know about your child? Um, what way can I best support your child? And I asked for an email address. The reason I asked for an email address is because I was sending emails home. So through that, I could give shout outs in the email. So I could do an email. So I had a little chart. Um, so I did like my first class in the email. I may shout out 10 students and then send that to all the parents. Then the next time I emailed that class, I did another 10 students. So that was a quicker way than trying to call homes. And there were some homes I did call because, I mean, when you're teaching middle school, you would have 100, 200 students. And it's not feasible to call everybody and give a positive phone call. But there's a way to do it. And then I had a website. And I would post um work on the website so students were doing that um when i was teaching and then you got these apps so you can have the apps where you're posting things on there for parents to see or taking pictures and i want to tell you um when i had an app and i had older students um it doesn't matter how old the child is parents still love to see a picture of their child at school so um, if you can do pictures and send them, I would take pictures and send them via email. Say, hey, this is what we're doing today or show the Socr a picture of the Socratic seminar. It's just it makes the parent just feel warm and fuzzy inside. Like, look, my kid is actually sitting up paying attention to the lesson. Thanks, teach. Thanks for sitting that. And then I would email uh, throughout that first month to say, hey, um, this is what we talked about today. Ask your kid what the difference between a simile and metaphor is. 
come up with one at home. And like parents would, when I would talk to them throughout the year or at the conferences, um, parent teacher or student led conferences, depending on which school I was, it was different ways. You know, I really appreciate the communication that you're doing. So then when I had to say, hey, your son kept singing during the test and I asked him to not sing and then he got loud and I had to excuse him. I just want to talk to you about this because we need to figure out, you know, what maybe is there something. So now when I'm calling to give that kind of negative phone call, I've already won them over in that first 30 days. They're like, Mrs. Barnes is looking out for my kid. She cares about my kid. I know what's going on in this classroom. So you better be in, like, it would be so interesting to me because when you get those parents on your side, they come in, I don't want to hear nothing else, but you cutting up in this class. And what was even interesting because you, when you're in middle school, parents do it. I mean, heck. Most of my, uh, most of school, my sons have been in different classes. And even though I try not to do it, I compare my son's teachers to each other. So parents like, I don't know about these other teachers, but Mrs. Barnes is here for you. You better not be cutting up in her class. Like that's how the parent would just come and tell their child. And so, you know, it, it's, it's a good thing. So I considered that if you sat here and listened to this, you could be saying, yeah, Shantae, I got this. Or you could be saying, oh man, I the first 30 days it happened and it's falling apart. Look, you got the next 30 days to get it together. So take this Labor Day weekend and think about what do I need to do differently when we get back so I can get class back on track. Because the, the thing I hate the most is when stuff starts going downhill and then you just like, well, throw up your hands like, well, <sighs> you know, it's just this class, just this cohort of students. Cause I hear that, you know, you know, this group. This this grade was bad for the kid, the teacher's last school year, so oh, it's hopeless. Woe is me. No. Maybe it was a hot mess. Maybe it was a dumpster fire <laughs> the first 30 days. But you can put that fire out. You can make some changes, and you can make a difference. Regardless of how that cohort was last school year, regardless of who's in your class, regardless of they came from this family, you can change that culture. You can change that climate. You can bring in those routines and procedures. You can be the biggest cheerleader for students and make them feel like you are there for them. So thanks for listening to my podcast today. Hopefully you found something helpful and hopefully your next 30 days of your school years will be uh, would um, be great and that students are learning and it's going to be the best school year um, ever. So um, talk to you uh, next time.